Tonight we begin a brand new study called The God of Second Chances as we're going to do a study through the book of Jonah. Now, let me tell you a little bit of how this came about. I was reading in my personal quiet time, and I was reading, I'm currently reading through the Bible, and I came to the book of Jonah, and I, I have to confess to you that I, I had the, the thoughts that maybe you have when you read certain books of the Bible. It's like, well, yeah, I know what this is about. You know, I've read, the, I've read it several times, I've heard it, I've preached it, I, I know what this is about. I, I could almost outline it for you before I even read it, and, and I know what, what it's about. And I started reading through it again, just because I want to make sure I'm reading through the Scripture, and I read through it again, and as I was reading it, I began to get kind of captured in the story again. The story that I already knew, the story that I could quote to you. I began to be captured by the story. I began to be fascinated by things I was reading. And every so often I'd stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what did he say there? Wait a minute, why did he go there? Wait a minute, what does that word mean? And I started digging in deeper and deeper and deeper into the story and into the book of Jonah. And just absolutely fascinated at this book. And that really is the reason that we're going to be studying it over the next uh, five weeks. I want to encourage you in the next five weeks to spend time in the book reading it over and over. Uh, the book of Jonah is only four chapters long. And, and get this, to make that sound even shorter, it's only 48 verses long. 48 verses, the entire book. So you could sit down and read the book of Jonah easily tomorrow morning in your quiet time. And then maybe on Tuesday morning, you read it in your quiet time. And Wednesday, perhaps you read the book of Jonah every day this week. Just getting really, really, really familiar with it. And then maybe reading it once a week through the rest of the study. And as you dig into the book of Jonah, keep a notebook handy. And just write down questions. And write down ideas. And write down thoughts. And circle words. And just really begin to get captured by the story that you already know. So, let's start. There are certain books in the Bible, if I were to say, hey, tell me the story of Nahum. What's Nahum all about? Give me the theme of Nahum. I doubt that very many, maybe, maybe none of us could do that. If I were to say to you, okay, how about the book of Acts? Can you give me kind of the idea, the theme behind the book of Acts? Probably several of you, some of you, maybe many of you could say, yeah, I know the book of Acts is about the early church and it's the explosion of the gospel across the world, uh, the, sh the sharing of the gospel and, and how Christianity spread. You could tell me a little bit about the book of Acts. But if I were to ask you about the book of Jonah, what's the book of Jonah about? Every, I'm convinced every one of you, every one of you could tell me about the book of Jonah. In fact, the book of Jonah is one of the most popular stories in the Bible. Your kids know the book of Jonah, don't they? Or at least the story of Jonah. Your grandkids know the story of Jonah. In, in your Sunday school classes, those children classes, we teach them the story of Jonah. It's the most, one of the most popular stories in the Bible. So here's the question for you. Why do we need to study it? If you already know it, and I already know it, if it's so popular that everybody knows it, why do we need to study it? Well, look at your notes there. I want to give you three reasons that we need to study the book of Jonah tonight and over the next four Sundays. First of all, one of the reasons that you need to study the book of Jonah is because God's Word is not static. God's Word is not static. What I mean by that is this, that God can speak to your life in fresh ways through very familiar passages. Have you found that to be true? 
passages that you know by heart, maybe favorite passages and so forth, but, but when you need it the most, God can speak to you through very familiar passages because God's Word is not static. God's Word is living, the Bible says, right? It's the living Word of God. And God can breathe new life into you at just the right time through those words and those verses and those passages that you know so well. So one of the reasons that you need to make sure you read the book of Jonah and other passages like that that you know so well is because this is the living Word of God. Amen? It's not static. God can speak to you just when you need it. Number two, we sometimes misunderstand the book. The book of Jonah is not about a fish. Now, that's one of the most famous parts of the story, no doubt. But it's not about a fish. In fact, there's only three verses in the whole book that deal with the fish. But if I were to ask you, what's the book of Jonah about? You'd say Jonah and the... Yeah, and it's not even a whale, but that's another thing. The Bible calls him a great fish, but we always know him as Jonah and the whale. But the book is really not a story about a fish. There's three verses that deal with the great fish, and there's 45 other verses that tell us the real message of Jonah's story. Here's what the book is about. It's a book about God. It's not a book about a fish. It's not even a book about Jonah. It's a book about God. God is mentioned. Why, there's no place to write, uh, as far as to fill in the blank, but I'm going to write this down. God is mentioned 38 times in four chapters. 38 times. In 48 verses, God is mentioned. If you eliminated God from the book, the story wouldn't make any sense. The book of Jonah is about the will of God and how we respond to it. It's about the love of God and the love that He has for all people, even Gentiles and, and the wicked people of the, worth, of the, of the earth. The book of, uh, is about God and His grace that He has towards a guy who is running away from Him, as well as the grace that He has for a wicked city. It is a book about God. G. Campbell Morgan, a former pastor, Westminster Chapel in London, said, Men have been looking so long at the great fish, they have failed to see the great God. It's a great, great quote for the book of Jonah. So, one of the reasons to study is that God's Word is not static. Number two, sometimes we misunderstand the book. Number three, Jonah's story is our story. The book of Jonah is the story of someone like you and me. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so popular is because it's a story we can relate to. Jonah is like us, and we are like him. This book that, that we're about to study shows his struggles. And we can identify with struggles. It shows his lack of faith, and we can identify with that. It, it shows his, his disobedience, and we know what that's like. It shows his problems, and we've got our problems too. And, and it shows that God gave him a second chance, and we desperately sometimes want and need a second chance. His story is our story. That's the beauty of this book. It shows the absolute, with absolute clarity someone we can identify with. Sometimes we don't identify with Apostle Paul. He's kind of like way up here. Sometimes we don't identify with Isaiah. He's just way up here. He's, he's a prophet. Like oh Man, we can identify with Isaiah or Jeremiah. But Jonah? Jonah's somebody you can relate to. Somebody I can relate to. His story is so simple a child can understand it. It's so powerful. It can change all of our lives. So, that's the reasons that we need, or, or the reasons that we need to study it. Now, let me give you a little bit of an overview of the book. Uh, I, I really like this part of the study. 
Uh, first of all, although Jonah was one of, is one of the most popular books in the Bible, it's also one of the most controversial. One of the most controversial books in the Bible. Four chapters, how many verses? 48 verses, and yet that small book is one of the most controversial books in the Bible. Here's the reason. Its historical validity is questioned by skeptics and even by some scholars. It's probably accurate to say no other book in the Bible has been ridiculed as much as the book of Jonah. Now, you talk to me. Why do you think this book has been ridiculed so much? What? Exactly. It's the story of a man who was swallowed by a fish, where we could kind of maybe identify with that. We could kind of understand that. But he didn't, just, he didn't get eaten. He was swallowed by a fish, and he lived there for three days, and then the fish regurgitated him, and he got up, and he went to preach in the city of Nineveh. I don't know about you. I haven't heard that kind of story lately. You know, I haven't seen that on the news or, or on television or on the Internet or anything like that. And so for that reason... Skeptics and scholars wonder if this is historically accurate. I mean, it is, let's be honest, it is quite a fish story, isn't it? Right? It's a story, now, now listen to what I'm about to tell you, because I, want you to, I don't want to be misquoted. It is a story that seems, make sure you hear that word, it's a story that seems like a legend, rather than historical, biographical narrative. That's why some skeptics and some scholars have decided that this story is really either a fictional story or it's an allegorical story or it's a parable. And lots of people, especially some scholars, lean towards that this, this story, this book, is, is really a parable, an Old Testament parable, if you will. Uh, the common assumption is that the story kind of sprang up from the author's imagination, that that the author just imagined all of this and he made up this wonderful story. And it, it is quite a literary masterpiece. It's a great story. Even and Some people think it's, it's a good story. It's a story with a spiritual lesson. Uh, but that's all that it is. It's a story. Now, that's what some people think. The other way, to, number two on your notes, the other way to interpret this book is the literal historical approach. I want to be very clear that this is the way that I interpret the book. That is to say, I believe that there really was a man named Jonah who was actually swallowed by a fish, who lived in the belly of the fish for three days, and then was released from the fish to go preach to the people of Nineveh. I really, absolutely believe that, was, that happened. Um, I believe this book recounts the real events of the life and the ministry of a prophet named Jonah. Now, I want to tell you why, though, I believe that. Because I think it's important that we understand, okay, well, Pastor, that's, it's okay for you to believe that. We'd expect you to believe that. You're the pastor. But why do you believe that? And I think that's a very valid question. And so I'm going to give you four reasons why I believe this is an historical narrative, that there really was a Jonah, and uh, all of this is really true. Four strong reasons for holding to that belief. Number one, this is on your notes. Jonah was a figure of history. Jonah was a figure of history. Uh, look in 2 Kings chapter 14. 
2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. 2 Kings 14, verse 25. Uh, we're in the middle of a paragraph, and I understand that, but I just need you to see uh, something in this verse. It says, He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Goth Hefer. So here's the only reason I want you to read that verse is because I want you to see that he was mentioned in Scripture in another place. This is the historical book called Second Kings. It's a book of history, of Old Testament history. And in this book of Old Testament history, there was a prophet named Jonah, and he was the son of who, according to this verse? Son of Amittai. Remember that. So that's one of the reasons that I believe when we come to the book of Jonah, we don't just have a, an allegory. We don't just have a parable. We don't just have a, uh, a fictional story. But we have, indeed, an historical record of a person who literally lived. His name is listed in another book of the Bible. Here's the second reason that I believe that this, this was historical narrative. Number two, Jonah is mentioned by name. Put that on your notes. Jonah is mentioned by name in the book of Jonah. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't understand why that's important. Well, one of the characteristics of a parable is that when you, whenever you have a parable in the Bible, a person's name is never mentioned. What's the most famous parable in the Bible, according to, just in your opinion, the most famous parable in the Bible? Parable of the prodigal son. In the parable of the prodigal son, what is the prodigal son's name? We don't know, do we? What's the prodigal son's brother's name? Don't know. What's the prodigal son's father's name? Don't know. Because you see, in a parable, it's a made-up story, and, and in a parable, there's never... A literal person. It's, it's a fictional person, a character that's made up to give a spiritual truth. And so, in this story, though, we have Jonah is mentioned in the very first chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of who? Son of Amittai. We've already seen his name, haven't we? We've seen his father's name in Second Kings. And now we see his name here. So that's one of the reasons when we come to the book of Jonah, we say, now this, is, this isn't a parable. Because Jonah is mentioned by name. Number three. And I know all of this is just kind of introductory. If you'll just be patient with me, we want to lay the groundwork for, for a great study tonight. Number three. Uh, the reason I believe this is historical narrative. Number three. In some ways, we've been able to duplicate the story of Jonah. And, uh, you may not understand what I'm about to tell you, but did you know that the U.S. Navy has duplicated the story of Jonah? You didn't know that. You, you didn't read about that, did you? They really have. I'm, I'm serious. The U.S. Navy has duplicated the story of Jonah. They have created a nuclear submarine. In fact, they've got several of them. Nuclear submarines. This, this, and, and I'm told that in this nuclear submarine, which is a, a feat of engineering that I, I can't ever, I, I just can't imagine what it's like. I've always wanted to get in on the submarine, but that's a whole different thing. But, but a whole, you know, this... It was a feat of human engineering, uh, ingenuity and engineering. And they've created this vessel where men and women could go down under the sea and live there for a long period of time. In fact, Rodney Bridges, where's Rodney? He's, Rodney? 
Rodney served in the Navy. He was on a nuclear submarine. Rod, Rodney, how long, what's the longest time you were ever under the ocean? 29 days. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that if the U.S. government can create a metal fish that would enable Rodney to stay under the ocean for 29 days, Almighty God didn't have a problem with three days. I just get so fed up with people who say, well, that really couldn't happen. Man couldn't live in the belly of a fish. Excuse me, who created that fish? Who created the sea the fish is swimming in? If God is creator of everything, and if human man in his ingenuity can create a metal fish in whom people can stay under the water for 29 days, surely God can pull off three days. Just makes sense to me. I don't know if it does to anybody else. I basically want to say this. If God, if he, well, let me just put it this way. You know how I interpret the book of, or the book called Jonah? Here's, here's my presupposition. This is where I start in the book of Jonah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe that with all of my heart. And if I believe that with all of my heart, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then I have no problems believing. And God created a fish to swallow Jonah. Now, when we get in later into the study, that's going to be, I think for you, it was for me, one of the fascinating studies that I did in my personal quiet time as I began to think about God sending that fish to swallow him. So you just hang with me when we get to chapter 2 and uh, into chapter 3. It's going to be a fascinating thing. All right, uh, here's the fourth reason, though, that I believe that this is historical narrative. The main reason I believe in a literal Jonah is that Jesus obviously, obviously believed in his historicity. Jesus believed there was a Jonah. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign. This is Jesus speaking. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. When Jesus was speaking, he believed in Jonah. He believed that this was a real story. He didn't say, now, now this parable over in the Old Testament, he really believed in the, in the historicity of Jonah, that he was a real person, he was a real prophet. He, he spoke and he was in the belly of a fish, a great fish for three days. And in fact, Jesus said, you know that story in the book of Jonah, that story is there because it illustrates something that's going to happen to me. Just like, I was in, just like he was in the belly of a fish for three days, I'm going to be and tomb for three days. And I have a sneaking suspicion, just hear me out on this. I have a sneaking suspicion that one of the reasons people have a problem with Jonah is because they have a problem with Jesus. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, 
You see, if I have a problem believing Jonah, I'm going to have a big problem believing Jesus. Jesus in, in the grave for three days, coming back to life. Are you serious? Do you really believe that happened? I absolutely believe that happened. So when we come, I don't want to get off on that, but, but I really believe that some of the reasons that people attack the book of Jonah is because in essence they are attacking Jesus. So we are dealing here with a real man in the book of Jonah who lived around 800 B.C. You might want to jot that on your notes. There's not a blank there, but you can just jot it down somewhere. We're dealing with a real man who lived around 800 B.C. and whose message is as relevant today as today's newspaper. Jonah is the story of a man and an entire city who got a second chance because of God's grace. So, let's dig in. Chapter 1, today, tonight, we're just going to look at the first three verses, kind of set the stage, build a foundation for the rest of the study. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Uh, let's just work our way through those three verses just little by little. First of all, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, that phrase, the word of the Lord, is a very common phrase that's used throughout, especially the Old Testament. Uh, and it basically is talking about this shows that what this prophet is about to say is not just his own feelings. It's not just his own idea, but it's something that God has given him. But in this book, that phrase, the word of the Lord, means even more than that. Because this is not just a, some information that God wants Jonah to pass on, but where it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it means that this isn't some instruction for Jonah. It's not just information or instruction for him to pass on to other people, but this is instruction for him to live out. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, stop there for just a moment and just think about this. How God, isn't it amazing? Does it fascinate you to think about how God calls particular people to particular places for particular purposes? In Jonah's case, we find God calling him to Nineveh. And why was he being called to Nineveh? Tell me, class, why was he being called to Nineveh? What's that? All right, all right, very good. Now, when God called Jonah to Nineveh, he said, I've got something in mind for you, and I've got a place for you. I've got something I want you to do, I'm asking you to do. Go to Nineveh and preach against that city. And we're going to talk about Nineveh in just a moment. But it's fascinating to me that God sometimes pinpoints us. Out of all the people of the world, all the people on the planet, the millions and billions of people on the planet, it is fascinating to me that Almighty Creator God sometimes pinpoints us. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah. Just one person. One person. Jonah. What a contrast that response that, that Jonah had 
to another response in the Old Testament. Because basically when the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he had this wonderful privilege that Almighty God was speaking to him and Almighty God was going to involve him in what God was wanting to do in Nineveh. That Almighty God was inviting him to be part of this great revival in Nineveh. Almighty God pinpointed him and gave him that personal privilege. And Jonah said, here am I, send someone else. In essence, that's what he said, because look what, he, what happened. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. And we're going to talk about that again in a moment too, but just think about that. Jonah ran away from the Lord. He had the opportunity to do something for the Lord. He had the opportunity to join the Lord in this great missionary endeavor. He had the opportunity to partner with the God of all creation. And Jonah ran away from the Lord. Fascinating to me how that sometimes happens in our lives too. What a contrast with the response that the prophet Isaiah gave. When God asked, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's response was, here am I, send me. I've got to tell you that from personal experience as well as personal observation, I really believe that many Christians are more like Jonah than they are like Isaiah. It may be that God might be calling you to something. Now, let me just be real frank. You don't have to answer out loud. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But let me just be real frank and ask you, has God ever called you to do something, told you to do something, you just didn't want to do it? What's your Nineveh? Don't answer that out loud. What's your Nineveh? What's that thing God has asked you to do, instructed you to do, called you to do, and you just don't want to do it? Maybe your Nineveh is reconciling a relationship with someone. And God has spoken to you and called you and told you, you just don't want to do it. Or maybe your Nineveh is sharing the gospel. Not with somebody in Nineveh, but your Nineveh is sharing the gospel with somebody at work. God's told you to do that, but you just don't want to do it. Or maybe your Nineveh is that you're wrestling with full-time vocational ministry. And you were like I was at 17. You just didn't want to do it. A lot of us are on boats sailing for Tarshish when God's calling us to go to Nineveh. But we're trying to get away from what God's asking us to do. You see, there's only two directions you can go in life, really, when you're talking about God. There's only two directions you can go in life. One is toward the will of God, and the other is away from it. You're either, you're either going towards the will of God right now or you're going away from it. Somewhere, God may be calling you to something that you don't want to do and you're either going towards the will of God or you're going away from it. So, with that as a background, with the time remaining, I want to give you some lessons from a runner. I've got three for you. Some lessons from a runner. And I'm going to ask for your participation a time or two, so I hope that you've got your thinking cap on and we can kind of work our way through this. Lesson number one. God sometimes calls us to do something we don't understand and may never have chosen. He sometimes will call us to do something we don't understand and may never 
have chosen. Chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And here's what God said. Go to the city. It doesn't say the city, does it? Go to the what? The great city of Nineveh. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, let me tell you a little bit, uh, just a very little bit about Nineveh. First of all, you notice in the word that it's called a great city. Nineveh was kind of like New York City in our day. Nineveh was known as a great city, one of the greatest cities in the world at that time. It was great in prestige, it was great in power and position, but listen to this, it was also great in perversion. God said its wickedness has come up before me. Out of all the cities in the world, out of all the cities at that time in existence, God said there's one city and its wickedness is so great, its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was known for its wickedness. They were wicked, cruel people. In fact, historians, one historian wrote that the people in Nineveh were known for for playing uh, catch with the heads of their enemies. They'd take the heads of their enemies and basically play ball with them. Wicked. They were perverted people. They, they, were, uh, they, they, they were part of uh, sacrificial, they offered sacrifices to idols, as many did, of course, in that day and time. They, they were involved in witchcraft. They, they were evil, perverted people, an evil, perverted city. But here's the other thing that you need to know about Nineveh. The people of Nineveh, were, they conquered many nations in that area. And one of the nations that they probably bumped up against from time to time was Israel. And the people of Israel had experienced, probably, more than likely, more than one attack from these people. And this is just conjecture on my part, but it could be that Jonah knew some people who had been attacked by the Ninevites. It could be that Jonah knew some times when the Ninevites had come down into his area. So it could be that Jonah knew personally the scars of the terrorism of the Ninevites. And so when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, there was nothing about Nineveh he wanted that appealed to him. He did not like Nineveh. He did not like the Ninevites. In fact, he more than likely hated the Ninevites. There was nothing about that assignment that appealed to him. Nor could he understand why God would make that assignment because the Ninevites were considered enemies of Israel. And if they were enemies of Israel, they were by nature then enemies of God. And so here's what God said. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. You would think that maybe Jonah would be excited about that opportunity. If I'm a prophet and God says, I want you to go preach against your enemies. Go preach against that city. It's like, okay, i got a few things I want to tell them. There's some things I can say to them. You know, I, I'm going to lay it on them, God. If you want me, just, just bring the thunder and lightning behind me because I'm ready to go. But he didn't do it. And he didn't want to do it. And if you just want to take a little quick glance over to chapter 4, you'll find out why he didn't want to do it. And this will show you how much he hated the Ninevites. Um, chapter 4. Um, let's see, I've lost the verse. Somebody help me find the verse. Verse 2. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse 2. Thank you, thank you. Verse 2. Uh, we're fast-forwarding, but just want you to see how much he hated these people. He prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious God, or gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You know why he didn't want to go to Tarshish? I mean, why he didn't want to go to Nineveh and why he ran to Tarshish? He said, I knew that if I went there and I preached against it, I knew what would happen. I knew that they would turn to you and you would forgive them. I knew that you would not judge them, you would be gracious to them. That's how much he hated the Ninevites. Could I put it in current day terms? He wanted them to go to hell. And he wanted to make sure they went there. And he had the sneaking suspicion that if he went and preached there, he'd see him in heaven one day. And he did not want that. Has God ever asked you to do something that doesn't make sense and something you would never choose on your own? If so, listen carefully. Hello, Jonah. Hello, Jonah. He's us. We're him. God sometimes calls us to do something we don't understand and may never have chosen. Number two, resisting God's will will often seem right at the moment, but ultimately proves to be costly. It ultimately feels right. It seems right. I, I wish we had a little more time to dig into this, but we're just going to skim the surface on something here. But I think you'll get the idea. Listen, listen to what it says. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa. Those of you who went to Israel with me, you remember we went by Joppa. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He found a ship ready to go in the direction he was wanting to go in. He found a ship waiting on him. He found an opportunity to flee. He, he decided to flee from God, and when he was fleeing, he found what he needed to get away from the Lord. Hey, folks, do not be surprised if the devil works everything out for you to follow his will. Are you with me? So many times I have heard people say, well, pastor, it has to be God's will but just because of the way it all worked out. It just had to be God's will. He was right there when I needed Him most. It just had to be God's will. Just the way everything kind of unfolded. The devil will always provide you a ship to go away from God's will. He'll always orchestrate the events and circumstances to help you disobey God. Resisting God's will often seems right at the moment. Somebody put it this way, the ready way is not always the right way. At the moment, I'm sure he rationalized that this is the good thing to do. At the moment, I'm sure he... In fact, if you read the story, if you continue in the story, you'll find out that not only did he get on the ship, he got on the ship, he went down into the bottom of the ship, and he fell asleep. 
I mean, he's resting. He's feeling good about his decision. He's not wrestling with this at all. He's resting and feeling good about what he's done. We can rationalize and feel good about what we've done. But resisting God's will might seem right at the moment. Ultimately, it will prove very costly. And we will, of course, be getting into that. Here's the third thing, and with this I close. It's impossible... I love this last one. You've got to make sure you put this down. It's impossible to run from God successfully. It's impossible to run from God successfully. Verse 3. Here's where I want your participation, and then we're going to leave. We'll we'll be done. Verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the ferry, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. And here's what it says again. To flee from the Lord. Now, when I was reading this, my personal study, I, I had to ask myself the question, why did he leave? You know, what I meant was this. I thought, why didn't he just stay home? Why didn't he just say No. You understand what I'm saying? Why didn't he just say, I don't want to do that. But instead it says, he left his home, he went down to Joppa, he paid a fare, and he got on a ship to go to Tarshish. Now, we don't have the time to look at a map, but if you were to look at a map, Tarshish is as far away from Nineveh as you can get. And it's in the opposite direction. If you're looking at a map... Nineveh is over here, Tarshish is over here, and Tarshish is as far over here as you can go. It was, in that day, at the end of the world almost, you know? So I had to ask myself, why does it say two times in verse 3, he ran away from the Lord? And or secondly, it says and he, to flee from the Lord. Why didn't he just stay home and say, no, I ain't going? Now, I don't have a real good answer. I've got an answer, but you might have a better one. So you tell me what you think the answer is. Do what? (laughs) Can't get a big fish in a little pond. Tell me what you mean by that, Jim. (laughs) Okay. Why did he run away? Well, why does it say he ran away from the Lord? Why did he get on the ship? Why didn't he just stay where he was? All right, that might be very true. All right. Wanted to go as far geographically as he could away from where God was telling him to go. Very likely. Any other answers? Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. If, if he stayed at home, he would remember what God had said to him. And he, if he left, he could forget all of that. Well, that's a good, yeah. Yeah, well, people in Tarshish need the Lord too, so I can, except it doesn't say he just went to preach, it says he went to get away from God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Now I think you're hitting close to something that's close to, to what I would say my answer would be. Remember, in the Old Testament days, God was considered to, to live or to dwell in what city? Jerusalem, in the temple. We know now, as New Testament Christians, looking back on that, that God's everywhere. God's, the, the, the big theological word for that is omnipresent. God's everywhere. But in that day, Jonah had the concept that God lives in Jerusalem. He lives in the temple. That's where God's presence is. And he was trying to get as far away from God as he could. Because if he was near God, it was eating him up inside. He wanted to get where he could forget. He wanted to get away where he could forget. So he ran away from the presence of the Lord. I, I don't know, this is just my feeling, it's just my, I, my idea. I, I really believe that when Jonah was at home and he was wrestling with this, that it was the call of God was so real right there that he had to get away from that place to get away from the call of God. I want to close with this statement. Somebody needs to hear this. Here's the statement. You can run from God. Listen, you can run from God, but you cannot run away from God. Does that make sense? You can run from Him. You cannot run away from Him. You get away from him. You can run from God, but you can't run away from God. And Jonah learned that lesson in a very, very dramatic way. So join us next week. We're going to get into the story uh, and it, all that happened in the sea and, and the fascinating story of the, of the big fish. And God's got a lesson for us all. I want you to pray with me as we leave. Father, I don't know what, what it is that you call us to do that we might be wrestling with, what we might be ignoring, what we might be saying, God, I don't want to do that. I don't know the needs of the people here, but I know, Father, sometimes it is a struggle when you call us to do things that we, not, we would not normally choose. Maybe you call us to go somewhere we would not normally go. Maybe you call us out of our comfort to follow you, to do something that's very uncomfortable. I pray that you'll help us to learn from this book and from this message that the only way to really be successful is through surrender. The only way we'll ever be successful is through surrender. And may we surrender to you this week. I pray that in Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Don't forget, new study starts Wednesday, uh, R12.